Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's open our Bibles uh, to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, and then also Colossians 3, all right? Psalm 133 and Colossians 3 tonight. Psalm 133 and Colossians 3. And I will say that if, uh, when, we, when we get to Colossians 3, okay, when we get there, it means absolutely nothing except for that it's, a me- it's part of the message, all right? No, I'm just teasing. When we get there, I'll almost be done, all right? So when we get to Colossians 3, we'll only have about 30 minutes left. So I'm just teasing. Well, uh, we are going to study something out in the next couple of weeks that I think will just be an encouragement to us and a help to us. Psalm 133 and Colossians 3 is where you're going. And I apologize, the font didn't turn out well, so you can't, can't see that too well. Uh, but Psalm 133, Colossians 3 is where we're going to be tonight. If you grew up with siblings, then you probably at some point in your childhood, you heard this question from your mom or your dad. The question was, why can't you two get along? Why can't you get along? How many, be honest, how many of you heard that growing up? All right. How many of your kids ask you that as a husband and wife? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. Uh, you know what? The, the, with, with growing up with siblings, uh, man, there's always that bickering in the home. There's that arguing in the home. And that's definitely in the home with a family. That's a common question. Man, why can't you just get along? And the truth is that some of the easiest people to not get along with are those that should be the easiest to get along with. In the home, the, you know, you think about it, uh, I know as a parent at times, there's times when with my kids, I ask them the same question, and I'm like, why is it that you are so nice to your friend, but you're so rude to your sibling? And we shouldn't, it shouldn't be reversed where I'm rude to my friend, but nice to my sibling. Man, I should be nice to everybody. But the truth is this, that every relationship, every relationship has its challenges. Whether that's a brother and a sister, or, I mean, whether that's siblings, or a husband and a wife, or coworkers, or people within the church, every single relationship has challenges. And in any relationship, sometimes, sometimes it's just hard to get along. Sometimes it's hard to get on the same page as people, whether it's in a marriage or a job or a family or a neighbor or a church, because there's personality differences. Every single one of us struggle with connecting and often with that idea of getting along. But that problem is not new. Man, the problem of can't we all get along and the problem of relationship struggles it's been going on all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You know what happened in Genesis chapter number 3? The very first murder was a result of a family dispute. Right? Cain killed Abel. Two brothers. Very first murder is a rough interpersonal relationship. 
You continue down the, down the line, you can go to uh, Genesis chapter number 13 and uh, Abraham and Lot, their herdmen, their shepherds are fighting. And the Bible says that Abram said unto Lot, let there not be strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. You know, you know what he's saying? Hey, why can't we just get along? So the struggle is very real and that struggle has been happening for years but what we need to know that tonight is that relationship struggles is not what God intended. God intended and he desires for unity. God wants unity, especially with people who would call themselves Christians. God wants that unity. No doubt tonight where we're going is a familiar passage, but we're gonna look to a place where we get God's thoughts on people getting along, but specifically on believers dwelling in unity together, together uh, dwelling in unity together. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 133, and let's stand, and we're going to read three verses tonight out of Psalm 133, and now we're going to read the entire chapter. It's three verses. Read the whole thing. Yeah, so buckle up, all right? Psalm 133, and beginning in verse number one, we read these words. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Look back at verse number one. David, the author of the psalm, he writes this. Behold, means stop, catch this, pay attention. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Tonight I want to address something that I really don't think I can say it probably with confidence. I don't think there's an issue of it right now. I don't think within our church there's an issue of people not getting along or disunity. But I will say that it comes. There are gonna be times within, and tonight we're gonna to talk specifically about the church. There's gonna be times when within a church, a group of believers, that sometimes we just struggle to get along. And so I believe that the principles we're gonna look at tonight, they can help us as the church, but I really think that it can, you can take it a step further and it can help you in any relationship because every relationship struggles with getting along. And so tonight we're gonna to look at this idea of dwelling in unity from Psalm 133 and then we'll be in Colossians 3 in just a moment. So I, I truly believe that if we let this message sink in, it'll help every relationship we have. And so let's pray and then get into his word tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute in the quietness of your own heart and just ask the Lord to speak to you tonight and ask him to help you to hear exactly what he has for you. Dear Lord, thank you for the day and thank you again for the opportunity to come and to be here in your house tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us as we get into the word of God. I ask you, Lord, that you would use this message and the passage to challenge us 
And then, Lord, that we would make a decision based upon how you speak to us tonight. And, Father, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that tonight would be the night they put their faith and trust completely in you. And, Lord, for every believer tonight, I ask you, Lord, that you'd help us to leave uh, desiring unity with other believers in our home, with our family, in the workplace. And, Lord, that we would see that you desire uh, for us to get along with others. And, Lord, the testimony that that is of you and your grace and of your spirit working in our lives. And so, Lord, we uh, again thank you for the time. Pray that you bless it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> if, uh, if you were just doing what, what we would call a casual reading of Psalm 133, um, while verses 2 and 3 can be a little confusing, verse 1 is pretty straightforward. And so you, you could read Psalm 133 and you could probably, I mean, just a casual reading, you could walk away from it knowing what Psalm 133 is about. You could look and say, behold, how good and how pleasant it is that brethren dwell together in unity. And you could just hear that statement. And uh, really, it wouldn't take, wouldn't take a lot of brain capacity to, to iron that one out. You know, I oh, I guess it's good for people to get along. That, that's kind of the, the thought you'd walk away with. And you could quickly come to the conclusion that these verses are encouraging that unity among believers. But what's not so easily concluded upon is why unity is so important or why God puts so much uh, favor upon people who dwell together in unity. And so tonight I want us to just take a few minutes and see from Psalm 133 why unity is important. But before we get to it, I want us to kind of be on the same page of what unity is. All right, unity is not simply just agreeing with somebody. Unity, especially within the church, it's not just this idea of getting along. I'm using that as the illustration, but it's not just, well, we're cordial with each other. Unity, especially in the church sense, is the idea of coming together with one purpose and with one mind to accomplish one goal. It would be the same teamwork, a team working together. Um, there's folks in here who have played sports and some who have coached sports. And if you've coached or played sports, you know the idea that getting the team involved is better than having just an individual involved. But what is that? You're trying to instill in your players or as a player, you're trying to get everybody to rally around this idea of unity. We're trying to come together for the purpose of winning the game. Well, the same is true in our Christian life and within the church. That unity isn't just, well, we're on the same team. Unity is there's some goals and we're all trying to reach that. We're all trying to move forward toward that goal. In the church, it's not necessarily agreeing 100% on 100% of the things. It's not necessarily agreeing on how to cross T's or dot the I's, so to speak, but it's recognizing that God has called his children to accomplish a bigger picture than any one person. At times, it may mean that one or two or five or 10 people don't get their way. In the home, isn't it like that? I mean, you think about it. At times, in a marriage, a husband and a wife may not agree 100%, but there are times, and, and there's times in the home when something needs to happen, it's called deferring. And we defer for the sake of unity. 
We defer, and you say, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm gonna give you a silly illustration, all right? I wanna go to Wendy's. Well, Hannah wants to go to Taco Bell. Exactly, go to both. Go to Wendy's and get the food, or go to, go to Taco Bell and get the food, and Wendy's and get the Frosty, all right? That's what we settle on, and then go back to, go back to Taco Bell and get another burrito. <laughs> but here's the thing. It, you talk about someone you know, within the home. Someone wants to go to Wendy's, someone wants to go to Taco Bell. All right, now we have a decision to make. We have three kids, 13, 12, and 10 years old. I can choose as the dad, I'm there at the driver's seat, she's in the passenger seat, the three kids are in the back seat. I can choose to say, why do you want that? We went there last week. We went there, yeah, we did that before. Well, why do you want Wendy? Why do you want, and we can make an argument of it until somebody proves their point or for the sake of unity that we're all on the same page, one of us can say, all right, sounds good. I'm deferring. Now, I'm not gonna highlight my deference, okay, just so you know. Sometimes, we, sometimes people do that in the home. Don't look at me like that. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Well, you know what? Last time I won, so I'll let you win. That's not deference, okay? That's what we like to call stupidity. <laughs> Okay, just kind of mark that one down. Uh, but here's the truth. In, in relationships, sometimes for the sake of unity, deference needs to take place, and that the same is true within the church. And so in the church, sometimes it may not be easy to uh, agree with someone. And, and the fact is, unless it's a doctrinal issue or an ethical issue, sometimes deference comes in for the sake of the whole and for the sake of unity. There's gonna be times when we just defer for that sake. And so... Uh, the idea of unity, unity is working together to accomplish the purpose that God's called us to. That's what unity is. And I'll tell you, uh, tonight in our church, man, I'm thankful we have, uh, for the most part that I know of, now there may be something I don't know about, but uh, for the most part, we have unity. And for the most part, I believe that uh, those of us who are engaged in the church work, we know what our purpose is. Man, the purpose of Moses Lake Baptist Church, number one is to glorify God. Right, We are here to bring God honor and God glory. That way, if people come in, uh, if they're a guest or they come in for the hundredth time, that they leave a service saying, you know what, that church loves God. What's that do? That just gives God glory. Man, that just gives him praise. All right, that's number one. I, and I believe the majority of people that are involved in our church know that. Number two is to reach the lost. Man, John 15, the best way to reach the lost, or excuse me, the best way to glorify God is to reach the souls of men, to reach people with the gospel. And the fact is that there are people in our community that you rub shoulders with and I rub shoulders with each and every day that are lost and on their way to hell. And you are the only, you are the only picture of Christ that they may ever see. You're the only person who has the gospel that they might ever cross paths with. And so our purpose is number one, to glorify God, and number two, to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. And so unity says we recognize that purpose and we're moving forward to accomplish that. Man, we're moving forward to accomplish that. And, but the fact is that even though there may be unity most of the time in our lives and maybe in our church, that we have to know that our unity in our church and your unity within your marriage and your family, it will be attacked. And so it's during those times that I hope we remember a message like this to understand the significance and the importance of unity. 
So I want you to go with Psalm, 30, Psalm 133, and I want you to notice with me some thoughts about why unity is so significant and why it's so important. Number one tonight, you have the handout there. You can take notes if you'd like. Unity is excellent. Unity is excellent. Unity is something that is excellent within the home and within the lives of believers. Notice verse number one. You read this. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell, to dwell together in unity. I want to give you some definitions tonight, okay? Uh, the first definition is the word good. The word good, it means, uh, it means beneficial, right, or beautiful. That's the word good right there. It means it's beneficial. So behold, how beneficial or how right, how beautiful, all right? That's the word good. Pleasant. Pleasant means delightful and sweet, all right? Delightful and sweet. So we read in this and behold, how beneficial, how right, how beautiful, and how delightful and sweet it is for brethren to dwell, the word dwell. It means to abide or to remain or to continue. So here's what the verse is. Behold, how beneficial and how delightful it is for brethren to continue together in unity. That's a pretty cool verse. It's a pretty good verse. And it's in this verse that David, he's highlighting the importance of brethren, believers, followers of God, continuing together in unity. He's saying, hey, it's an excellent thing. It's a beneficial thing. It's a right thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a delightful thing. It's a sweet thing for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, I want you to see tonight that the, the two words he uses are great words. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Good and pleasant. Notice those two words. Those two words are significant because some things can be good, but not pleasant. Medicine. Like, remember when you were a kid and you had a cough and your mom's like, here's the cough syrup. Good for you, but not pleasant in you. Right? I mean, I don't know about you, but if you like cherry cough syrup, you need help. All I'm saying, Mom, it's cherry flavored. I don't care if that's cherry flavored. It is disgusting. It's good for, this is gonna help your cough, but it's not pleasant. If you ever go through any sort of medical treatment, medical treatment can be good for you, but it's not pleasant to go through. You just ask my dad with all the cancer stuff he's gone through. He knows, and there was a couple of times when uh, the doctors would come in and they'd say, Dennis, and they're talking to my dad, they'd say, Dennis, we want you to know this is good for you, but it's not gonna feel well. And they'd, they'd preface the next treatment or next shot or next whatever it was with that statement. All right, so there are things that are good, but not pleasant. There's also things that are pleasant, but not good. Like a... Uh, Bacon, double, cheeseburger, smothered in mushrooms. How many don't like mushrooms? Okay, take your mushrooms off. I will smother mine in mushrooms and put some, oh, put some sauteed onions on there. I'll even, I'll throw a bunch of lettuce in there. That way I can feel better about myself. 
Yeah, you can have, if you want tomatoes, pick, I don't know what you want. Think about that double bacon double cheeseburger that's about that big that you can't even get your mouth on it. You gotta cut it with a knife and eat it. Listen, that's pleasant, but it's not really good for you, you know? In heaven, it will be. In heaven, she, I, I don't know if it will be, but we'll just pretend it, all right? Listen, the, tr- the, the, the thought I'm trying to get across is this, that that's pleasant, but it's not necessarily good. Here's what David says about unity. It's good and pleasant, and it's excellent. It's good for you and pleasant in your life. And so I want you to think about this. This is not just a lack, uh, well, I'll say it this, that, that unity, David referring to it, it's not just a lack of arguing and infighting, but he's saying this, that dwelling together, continuing with the same mind, it is delightful for everybody involved. Now, there's something interesting for us, and I, I think it's super cool. In order to help us see why David's saying this, we need to kind of get the context of Psalm 133. Psalm 133 would be written at a time, many believe, uh, when David would be assuming the throne for both the northern and southern kingdoms. So all 12 tribes now are submitting to David's leadership. One man said this, and I apologize, the, uh, the background's a little darker, so you can't, can't read this very well. But it says, the tribes of Israel had long had separate interests during the government of Judges, And it was often of bad consequence. But now that they were united under one common head, he would have them made aware of how much it was likely to be for their advantage, especially since now the ark was fixed or had a stable place, and with it the place of their uh, rendezvous for public worship and the center of their unity. Now let them live in love." That's an interesting statement. You say, Pastor, what is David, or what is this author saying about David? For years, there had been infighting with Israel, right? They, I mean, in, in the book of Judges, there were times when Israel, you know, uh, a certain tribe would go up against a certain tribe, and Benjamin against, I mean, all these, this infighting. And now that David's on the scene in the book of Samuel, and you can go to uh, 2 Samuel 5 and 6 and read about this, now that David's on the scene, it's almost as if David is writing to them and saying, hey, it's time to come together. There's been infighting too long, but it is going to be an excellent thing if we can dwell together in unity. After years of being separated, after years of being enemies, David is saying it's excellent. It's going to be a good picture. It's going to be a healthy thing if we can come together in unity. And just as it was healthy for them, we need to know that it's healthy for believers today. Man, for followers of God, it is, it is healthy. And what was true for Israel is still true today. It's true that when God's people continue together with the same goal, unified, that it's good and it's pleasant. It's almost like David is saying how commendable it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Hey, how good. You you can't even conceive or express how delightful and how beneficial and how beautiful it is for believers to be in unity. You know, unity is a rare thing. And because it's rare, it's admirable. You think about this, unity is a character trait that we don't, you don't see a lot of. But can I tell you tonight that unity, one of the reasons it's excellent is because it's attractive. 
Think about it. Think about a store. I've used the illustration. I can't remember when, but and if you're walking through the grocery store and you see a family just bickering, mom and dad bickering, kids bickering, fussing, you're not like you know. If I was an adopted kid, I want to go to that family. You know, you're not thinking that. You're like, dude, control your kids. What? Oh, you know, and. And you're like, I want to distance myself. Oh man, they're down that aisle. I'm going to the next. I know I need to go to the frozen food aisle, but I will go there when they're gone. Yeah, you hear them when you're a half store away, you know. But when you're walking around and you see a family and they seem to be getting along, you know, like the husband and wife are maybe going and, you know, it's one of the coolest things. And I don't mean this wrong for our recycled teenagers, but when I'm walking down and I see, I see older people that I, I can tell they've been married for years and I'm watching them holding hands walking down the road. Man, you know what I walk away? I'm thinking, man, I want, I want that. When I'm, when I'm 70, I want that. When I'm 80, I want that. Well, what, do you, what, do you, what am I saying? I want, I want that unity. Man, they're, they're walking together, getting along. If you're in a store and you see that couple getting along and the kids are kind of there and, and uh, you know, maybe they walk up and they're like, hey, dad, can I have a candy? And the dad says no. And they go, okay, and they put it away. Man, you're like, they're doing something. Now, some of you are like, pastor, that's a rare sight. No, you can see it. There are families out there, few and far between, but they're there. But here's the thought. It's an attractive thing when people dwell together in unity. It's an exemplary thing. It's an exceptional trait. It is an excellent thing for, for, for believers to be in unity. One man said it this way. He said, it's good in itself, agreeable to the will of God, the conformity of earth to heaven. It is good for us, for our honor and comfort. It is pleasant and pleasing to God and all good men. It brings constant delight to those who do thus live in unity. And it's delightful for everybody involved. So unity, it's excellent. Verse number two teaches us this thought, that unity, it's effective. Unity is effective. Notice verse number two, if you will, of our passage, Psalm 133 and verse number two. It says this, it is like the prescient ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garment. Now this verse, a little more complex to understand. David, he begins to describe what we would call the blessedness of unity. He first compares it to this uh, precious ointment that's poured upon the priests. And if you're not familiar with this, let me just tell you a few things about the ointment. He's referring to a passage you would go or we would go to Exodus 28, 29, and 30 or to a passage like Leviticus 8. And what you would read about there is that this ointment, this was a special perfume that was made up. I'm gonna give you the ingredients of the ointment. It's supposed to be 12 pounds of myrrh, six pounds of sweet-smelling cinnamon and cane, 12 pounds of acacia, four quarts of olive oil, and all of those things would be put into one basin or one pot. It'd be all mixed together. And then Aaron or the priest would come in and before they would go to minister or represent the people to God, before that ever took place, that ointment of all of that stuff would be poured on their head, run down their head, down their beard and cover the garments of that priest. 
Now we say, well, why, why was this? Well, it was, it was a, a sign. I believe it was used to teach uh, some things that would happen about the Holy Spirit and things of that nature. But you go and in Exodus 30, 30, God said why, why he wanted it. He said, thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. So what it was, it was something that was used, listen, it was something that was used to separate the priest for the purpose of God using him or of him ministering to God for the people. This ointment being ministered, it was something that was holy. It was something that God had given them and was specific instruction. But let me just give you a few thoughts about the ointment. When it was applied, everybody knew. You say, well, how did everybody know? If you go back to the ingredients, it smelled. And you say, what did it smell like? I got a question. You ever come home when you were a kid and your mom was making apple pie with cinnamon? How many of you like apple pie, cinnamon apple pie? Listen, the smell of cinnamon apple pie, even if you don't like apple pie, the smell of cinnamon, oh, it's awesome. You go and you look, and we, we could bring up uh, maybe some ladies that know about perfumes and different things. All of these things, you talk about a, an aroma that would be noticed. The cinnamon alone, but then you bring in the myrrh and you bring in all those other spices and different things. You know what that does? That just creates an aroma that is appealing. So when, that, when this ointment was applied, everybody knew it. When the ointment was applied, they were being obedient to the instructions of God. When the, when the ointment was applied, they were literally saying, God, we separate ourselves for your service. So in our passage, David is likening unity to that ointment being uh, used. It was a blessing. The ointment was a blessing. It affected the lives of everyone around. The ointment affected the lives of Aaron. The ointment affected the lives of the priests that it was used upon. The ointment affected the lives of the people. The ointment affected everybody. In our passage, the comparison is made by David that just as the ointment was effective in the days of Aaron, unity is effective now. Unity is effective today. The same is true that when God's people dwell or live together or continue together under this umbrella of unity, it affects so many lives. One man said it about the fragrance. He said, it is a fragrant, talking about unity, is a fragrant as the holy anointing oil, which was strongly perfumed and diffused its odors to the great delight of all the bystanders. You know what? When people get along, it affects more than just those people. When people dwell together in unity, it affects more than just those who are in unity. If you go to places like Ephesians 4, you discover that when a believer or a group of believers continue forward in unity, that number one, it affects their relationship with the Lord. Number two, it affects other believers. Number three, it affects the church as a whole. Number four, it affects the lost. Number five, it affects the church, church's effectiveness and their reach. And number six, it affects the wayward. That when people dwell together in unity, it has an effect that is far-reaching. 
So unity, when you look at our handout tonight, you look in this chapter, unity, it's an excellent thing. Man, it's a precious thing. Unity, it's an effective thing. It affects tons of lives. And then lastly, I want you to see that David helps us see that unity is evidence of God at work. Unity is evidence of God at work. As you move to verse number three, it is probably in, excuse me, in the years that I've studied uh, scripture, this is one of those verses that just stands out in my mind as like a, whoa, that's cool. Because verse number three of Psalm 133, it's kind of confusing. Look with me. It says, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Now, if you just read that, again, let's go back to our thought about a casual reading. I'm reading that verse and I'm going, huh? Like, what's this have to do with unity? But in order to see it, we need to know some things about Mount Hermon and about the mountains of Zion. Mount Hermon, uh, this will be in the northernmost part in the northern region of Israel. It'll be about 40 miles northeast of Galilee. It's actually a mountain range, not just one mountain, but a mountain range that stretches from northern Israel into Syria and Lebanon. And so you can go and you can see the uh, Hermon mountain range. And when you look at it, which this is super interesting, in the Galilee area of, of Israel, it's nice weather year round. Like they, I mean, their winters is like, you know, maybe upper 50s or 60 degrees for just a few weeks. The rest of the time when I was just there a couple weeks ago uh, in, you know, late November, I'm there and it was 85 degrees. You know, it's 85 degrees in the daytime. And, and uh, man, I'm, I'm there in shorts and a t-shirt, like still burning up. Uh, it's hot. But mount, the mountains of Hermon, or Mount Hermon, they're snow-capped. They're covered in snow. All right, now I want you to remember that. The other mountains that are talked about, I don't have pictures for it, but when it talks in, in the mountains, it says that descended upon the mountains of Zion. It's just talking about the mountain ranges in Israel, throughout Israel. Now, here's what's interesting about all of this. It's about the dew. The subject of verse number three is the, the dew. The dew that's upon Mount Hermon and the dew that's upon these mountains of Zion. So here's my question. What does dew do? What does it do? If you think about this, Dew, it, it doesn't fall, okay? Dew doesn't fall. Dew doesn't rise. Dew, it just forms. When the conditions are just right, dew forms. It forms silently. You can't hear it. But the presence of a morning dew is unmistakable. What's interesting, though, is Mount Hermon is covered with snow most year round. But did you know you can still have dew in the morning, in the winter? Think about it right now. Right now it's, you know, cold out. When you go out in the morning, there's probably a little bit of frost on your car. But usually, right on top of that frost, 
is just some little beads of water that's not frozen yet. That's dew. It just forms. It can even be around snow. It can be around heat. It's something that's just there. Now, the dew in this passage, the dew is something, and, and in life, the dew is something that only God can bring. It's only something that, I was gonna say only God can do, but that's too many play on the words do. So that's too many do's. Thank you, Leo. Uh, that do, it's only something that God can bring. It's only something that God can do. So that dew was proof of the natural working of God. Dew is proof that God is still working. So when we go back to our passage and he's saying that unity, it's like the dew of Hermon and the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore. You know what he's getting at, and we don't have time to get into all of the details of it. He's just simply saying this, hey, when people are in unity, it is a sign of God working. When people are dwelling together in unity, it's a sign that you can't make that happen. God works that way. God works in unity. And this is one of the comparisons that David is making, saying that unity, it is that inner sign of God working. It's, it's something that is approving uh, the love that Jesus Christ has for the believer and the love that the believer has for Christ and the love that believers have towards each other. And the fact is that when a church with all sorts of people come together from all walks of life, when they come together and they're unified and they're in unity, you know what happens? People take note of that. And people go, wow, that's only something that God could do. That's only something that God could bring. Well, how is it that these people who, if you put them in any other circumstance, they're not getting along. But here they are at church and they get along. You see, the truth is that you can take any two people in the world, put them in a room, and soon you can find disagreements, dislikes, and frustrations. So how is it then when you bring 100 people together or 150 people together within a church or 80 people or whatever the number is, how is it when you bring those people together, they can all sit and get along? and shake hands, and greet one another, and say amen to the preaching, and uh, sing a song, and worship, and come together for glorifying the God. How, how does that happen? Well, here's what David's saying. It's evidence that God is working. It's evidence that you and I, we can't make that happen. Only God can. It's evidence that God is doing something. And even Jesus said that unity and living together in that love is going to be an evidence to the lost. Notice John 13, 34, and 35, a couple of my most favorite verses. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, by what? By the love that you have towards each other, by that unity, by this shall all men know that you're my disciple, if... You have love one to another. So unity, it's important to God. So tonight I want to ask you this question as we wrap things up, and you can turn to Colossians 3. I ask you this question, unity is important to God, but is it important to you? Unity is important to God, but is it important to you?
I'm gonna give you a few thoughts as we close, and the thoughts are this, how you and I can be a person of unity. One of the best verses that you could probably memorize or focus in on about unity is Romans chapter 14 and verse number 19, where Paul writes this, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith we may edify one another. You know what he's saying? Paul is saying this, hey, seek unity. Man, seek that peace. Seek a relationship that's encouraging. There's some people out there, and uh, I'm not picking on Leo, but there's some people out there, they just want to fight. Leo jokes about it, but man, I love Leo's spirit. He's always joking that way. And man, but, but really, there's a lot of people that are out there that they legitimately just, they're just strife-driven, division-driven, dissension-driven. I mean, they just, they just want to argue about everything. The sad thing is, all too often, any one of us could be there. And here's what Paul is writing in Romans 14. Here's what David is referring to in Psalm 133. Don't be that person. Don't be, don't be the person who's always looking for a, an argument and a battle and a debate. Man, seek peace. Follow after unity. Follow after things that are going to encourage. Someone say, all right, pastor, how do we do that? Colossians 3. You're there, I'm gonna read the verses, give you four very quick thoughts and we're done. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, vows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel, a fight against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let me give you four thoughts how you and I can follow peace. Pursue unity. Number one, or letter A, unity begins with humility. Listen, unity in your home, with your kids, in the church, is never going to be around when pride is. Pride says, me first. Unity can say, can say I defer. Pride says, I prefer me over you. Humility says, I prefer you over me. Unity cannot take place in, your, in any relationship if pride is on the throne. Unity only comes, it only follows a humble heart. Unity begins with humility. Number two, unity comes with forgiveness. You know why a lot of people don't have unity? It's because so-and-so said something about them 10 years ago. You want to know why a lot of marriages don't have unity? It's because she or he did this four years ago or four days ago or four hours ago, and I will not forgive them. Listen, every single one of us, if we're going to dwell with unity, we've got to learn to forgive can I just tell you right now, little offenses and differences are going to come. I'm going to give you three words my dad has always told me. Three simple words that will help you. Get over it. 
It's going to come. You're going to get offended. Listen, in your marriage, you are two and we are two imperfect people with expectations for something that should be perfect. Offenses are going to come. Get over it. I don't mean to be rude, but I would add two more words. Grow up. (laughs) Grow up and get over it. You say, oh, pastor, that's kind of harsh. No. No, listen, life is too short to carry grudges and be frustrated with people. It's too short. Man, and those of you that are in your 70s and 80s, you're going to say, yes, it's too short. Because there are people in this room that I've had conversations with, and you have said to me, you know what, 15 years ago I had a grudge against so-and-so. I wish I never had that grudge. I wish I could have just forgiven them. Now, the truth is, with forgiveness, and that's a whole different message, just because you forgive someone for hurting you doesn't mean you allow them back in your circle of trust. Okay, that's a whole different message. But we're talking, I'm talking about little offenses. I'm talking today about the fact that, you know, I joke about it, but so-and-so's kid, you know, our family, so-and-so's kid stabbed your kid with a pencil in the nursery. That happened to us when, we, when Dennis was like two years old. Another little baby uh, stabbed him in the foot with a pencil in the nursery. You know what, Most there's some people, they're like, what? I'm, I'm ready to throw down. Man, I'm taking you out, you know. And You know the cool things? We were at men's retreat last week. I sat at dinner with the dad whose son stabbed my son in the foot with a pencil. And you want to know who else was there? His son, who's now 16. I wonder what would have happened if what, 12 years ago, when Dennis is one or two years old, if I would have let that be the burr under my saddle. Just rub me the wrong way. And then here I am 10 years later and see him at a men's retreat, and I'm like, oh, dude, you're still in church? I thought you'd be in prison by now because of your son. I thought you for sure would be. Listen, get, o- get over it. Grow up, get over it, and Forgive. Unity, it begins with humility. Unity comes with forgiveness. Number three, unity, it comes with love. That verse, Colossians 3, it says, and above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And unity, it's not gonna happen not loving people. Remember that old statement, love covers a multitude of sins? Do you know it's a biblical principle? It's quoted after a verse. The love covereth all things. Love, love covers a multitude of sins. And the fact is this. When you truly love someone, you're going to want a healthy relationship with them. You're not going to be content with disunity. You're not going to be content with not getting along. Because when we really love someone, we're going to go the extra mile, the extra effort to show them, man, we're on the same page. Humility begins with, or excuse me, unity begins with humility. Unity comes with forgiveness. Unity comes with love. And then lastly, and we'll talk about this next week, is unity comes with encouragement. In a verses is forbearing one another. That phrase forbearing has to do with holding each other up. We'll look at more of this again next week, but unity is more likely to take place when encouragement is happening. And you'll be on the same page if you just be an encouragement to other people. So I want to ask you tonight just that question, that unity, it, 
It matters to God. It's a matter to you. Will you tonight determine that you're going to be a person who dwells with others in unity? That's a helpful passage. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.